Glocal, podcast on locally incubated global technology powerhouses. Right now, there are more than 2,000 company servers throughout the world, uh, and these servers are tracking around 1 billion application users. This is your host, Enes. Our guest today is Honor, who is the CEO of the product analytics software Countly. I think this episode will be interesting for all SaaS founders. We'll discuss things around the open source strategy that Countly pursued, their remotely distributed team, and how they bootstrap their way without getting any venture funding. Now let's listen to the episode. Welcome, Onur, and can you tell us what Countly does particularly well compared to all those other analytics products out there? Hi, Anis. Great to be here. We would like to refer to Countly as product analytics done right. Countly has a plugin-based architecture, so it can be extended and also it can be customized to achieve what a business might need from an analytics tool. Countly can be deployed anywhere you need, giving you full control and ownership uh, of your data. So in today's world where you know data privacy and security matters, this is a great differentiation. So what I'm understanding is um, there is a lot of analytics products out there, but the fact that you guys are focusing on privacy and the extensible and customizable architecture makes you differentiate and resonate better with the customers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, of course, you know, there are a lot of uh, companies out there uh, offering analytics as a service. So there are a lot of like SaaS services uh, to begin with. But, you know, I think we have a quite good positioning in terms of data privacy aspect of the product and also the extensibility aspect is becoming more and more important due to the fact that companies are producing more and more specific products. So specific products need specific kind of like analytics capabilities. That's not something that the solutions out there can achieve. Uh, So that's why companies go and build in-house solutions, which most of the time suck. So we are kind of preventing that and offering an extensible solution from the beginning. And when I look into your website, it says end-to-end analytics for web, mobile, and even IoT. Um, I'm sure that you guys are mostly focused on mobile, right? Given your background um, in the space. Yeah, Uh, so we started as a mobile analytics offering. That was the only thing we did uh, initially. Afterwards, a lot of uh, mobile products have some web backend or like web UI to interact with the product. Uh, So that's why this kind of like emerged, like our customers needed a way to track not only mobile, but also web and desktop applications. The customer experience was basically throughout all those different mediums. That's why we expanded into web uh, and then we uh, added desktop application support. Right now, we basically cater for all of those mediums. I want to go back to the initial days while you guys were just starting out um, this as a mobile analytics company. Um, you and your co-founder both have strong backgrounds in mobile working at places like Truxell or Huawei. How did that experience help while you were just trying to identify the problems in the mobile analytics space? Yeah, I have worked in Huawei. My co-founder Gurkan worked uh, at Truxell at the time. You know, we worked in the mobile domain uh, for quite a long time. I would say the, the from the experience standpoint, the, mo- the most important part that helped us is the way large enterprises approach software products as Huawei or as Truxell, uh, there were a lot of uh, tools that were being used in-house. And of course, like analytics 
uh, is one of those tools. Web analytics was, of course, at a great point because you know web existed for quite a while. On the mobile side of things, there were only a handful of products. Flurry, for example, it was acquired by Yahoo later on. There was a you know, mix panel that was entering into the mobile analytics space. Uh, back then and there was localytics right now they are more focused on marketing but way back they were focused more on the analytics domain what these tools had in common was that obviously they weren't customizable the reports that you could get out of those were very limited and second of all especially mobile analytics can be quite sensitive you track individual users you are most interested in uh, very granular data not just overall metrics about how many sessions you have and that's why like enterprises cannot use SaaS solutions most of the time because the data is hosted somewhere else in another country uh, in some cases you are giving away the entire control of the data to another company I won't give a name but basically it's one of those companies had in their privacy policy that all the data that you send to them uh, can be used against like marketing purposes of that company you know these are not acceptable especially on an enterprise level we saw a room for a player that offered kind of a solution for these problems uh, and wanted to save enterprises from building crappy in-house product so what i'm understanding is you as the two co-founders working in large enterprises saw the fact that a data privacy is a big concern B, because of that, you guys are trying to develop in-house solutions and, I mean, come on, they're not good enough. That's why you targeted large enterprises and looking into your customers right now, you have Microsoft, Coca-Cola, Verizon, etc. How did you acquire these customers and what was your initial customer acquisition strategy as you were targeting these very large enterprises? We have several acquisition channels, actually. Most important of all is County Community Edition. It's the open source product that we have. As an open source product, it's a great way to, for any future customer to try and see what County is capable of. You know, reach out to us to learn more about the enterprise offering. Thanks to being an open source company, we are very active in terms of content, documentation, online discussions. A large portion of our customers learn about us organically uh, or via word of mouth. There's a community edition. Uh, it's pretty popular on GitHub. So we have more than 3000 stars on the project. And you know that helps us a lot in terms of like content documentation, etc., to reach out to people organically. And the third important acquisition channel is our partner network. Due to the way the product is structured, meaning it's not a cloud-based traditional SaaS offering, we can offer much better terms to our partners than a pure SaaS solution could. I would list those three as, as the main sources. But apart from that, of course, there is some very limited paid marketing efforts, but it's very, very minimal. So not comparable to those other three. Now I'm going to come to the white label strategy afterwards, but what first I want to focus on the content community and your open source strategy. I mean, you have an academy, you have a very active forum, you have a Slack channel, and you also pursued an open source strategy. First of all, what were some of the evidences that showed you that these strategies are working out? And looking into other companies that also do have an open source strategy, they struggle to monetize. Was that ever an issue for you guys? Or how did you switch from an open source strategy into trying to monetize those customers that came from the open source strategy? Open source uh, has been uh, with us from the very beginning, right? So it's not like open source is something 
uh, we decided to uh, look into after you know we started doing the product so that's how we started so the the strategy at the beginning was that we would build this product base that will be open source uh, and on top of that we will build an enterprise level offering and basically offer this solution to our enterprise customers it was built in uh, to the company so it wasn't a, a strategy that we decided to do later on and it's not the traditional kind of like open source business model so you know most of the time what you see is there is an open source product it has all the capabilities uh, and what the company is trying to sell is support and professional services we do have a commercial product that has a lot of more extra features on top of the community edition. So support and professional services is not the only way we are differentiating the open source versus the enterprise offerings. Looking at your website, you also do white label offerings as opposed to your standard offering. Which one are you most bullish on and why? I mean, what was the reason you pursued a white label offering strategy as well alongside with your current offering? In, in the beginning, we had the chance to work with a lot of big names. So I'm not giving any names, sorry for that. But basically the idea was that they were trying to build this developer tools kind of product offering. And analytics was a big part of that. We communicated with them, basically added enough things to the product that could support a white labeling, a complete white labeling of the offering. You know, to be honest, this wasn't very known decision. I mean, we didn't plan for this. Basically, this was something that happened along the way. So after that company, we had the chance to work with other companies, other similar companies, and we do still have a lot of like integration of partners where they you know white label county or embedded into their own offering uh, offer the services within county uh, on top of their existing offering that's a, another differentiator for us because obviously uh, other solutions won't be able to do this this is a strength for us this is uh, quite useful and priceless really for the customer this saves them a lot of development time money and you know they are using a solution that has been proven for the past five years and they don't have to build something in-house. As far as I know, you're currently pushing a channel partnership strategy through resellers and system integrators. How is that working out so far and will you continue to directly sell to customers as well? Our partners basically have much better terms uh, with us than they would have with a SaaS solution. Of course, our competitors have partners as well. So like Mixpanel, for example, has a lot of partners throughout the world. You know, what are they really selling? They are selling a subscription for a product that lives on Mixpanel servers, right? So they are selling it essentially a subscription but what we are doing here is quite different because our partner is not only selling the software but also services with it like integration our partner can host count on behalf of their clients our partner can develop extra plugins specific for their customers so this this gives our partners much more flexibility and much more freedom to resell a product like county and that's why you know we don't work with companies that that are partners to like thousands of products out there so we carefully pick our partners that work with relevant companies for us and then we pursue our relationship with them quite closely how is your current traction and the current um, customer metrics i mean can you provide us 
any numbers like number of customers, revenue, churn, etc. Or even growth maybe. I can't get into specifics really, but to give you the scale of our reach, right now there are more than 2000 company servers throughout the world uh, and these servers are tracking around 1 billion application users. Thousands of users log into their company dashboard every day to look into their stats uh, and there's a strong chance that you have an application on your phone that has count integrated in it. The important bit here is that a 20 people team can achieve uh, something like this uh, product like this that really affects a billion people. That's more important than revenue metric <laughs> I mean, of course i get that i wasn't going to ask this now i decided i should you're only a handful of people at countly looking at your linkedins there's people living in canada your co-founders in uk your team is spread across us india bangladesh turkey etc first of all how is this organizational structure behind that and how are you managing remote teams and how is this working out? I mean, this shouldn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> so we are a UK company and we have a fully remote team. So 20 people as of now, I think right now we are spread out to 10 countries. Uh, so this remote culture mainly started actually due to the fact that we are a company that offers an open source product. First engineers we hired were actually contributors to the project. Then we realized that we didn't really need to limit ourselves to hire from a single city or single country and wanted to find the most suitable candidates regardless of their location. This doesn't mean that uh, we hire like crazy from all around the world. So product team is located in Eastern Europe, Turkey and India. We try to preserve that kind of circle because otherwise like time zones get in the way. Right? So it still needs to be manageable. We try to maintain that. But for example, sales team it doesn't have the same criteria. It's based on where we need that kind of talent. So if it is Europe, we have someone in Europe. If it is US, we have someone in US. Sales team is more flexible in that matter, but product team is pretty much under control but i can definitely say that it's working very well right now we have been very efficient over the years but of course we are not limiting ourselves to be always remote right so we are not seeing it as uh, like we have, we have we are this remote company we are sticking to it no matter what if we need to have local offices around the world we will do that so far it has been a great experience and works well why change it but looking at you and your co-founder's profile, you both have very strong academic and engineering backgrounds, but it also seems like you have some overlapping skills. Was that helpful or more detrimental while you were just starting Countly and you evolved as the CEO of the company? How tough was it to become the CEO with close to no business background and more of an engineering background? It's true that we have a lot of overlapping skills. Uh, however, I think it's fine to have overlapping skills as long as you complement each other in other ways. You know what they say, starting a company with other people is very much like marriage. First, you have to make sure you are with the right people. Then you have to make it work through the challenges you will face. For me and Gurkham, it's it has been going pretty well. The important point is uh, making a solution for all those problems before they get big. Personal traits really align in that matter. Uh, so we didn't have any issues uh, and we work very well together. Being a CEO can be learned. You can adapt to it over time. As you know, there are a lot of 
successful CEOs in the world that have technical backgrounds. Uh, I'm not claiming I am there yet, but uh, I don't think you know I ever felt the need to find someone else for the job. That's something you really can evolve into uh, over time. From a product standpoint, Count is a fairly complex product with a lot of technical bits and pieces. Uh, if as founders we didn't uh, have technical backgrounds, I don't think we could have made it work really. Uh, it's not like a single person can design or think of this entire thing because just from technology perspective we are using more than like six programming languages we, we cater for different operating systems products of course from device types mobile desktop web etc all of these things require technical knowledge and from a business standpoint like obviously we weren't completely far from the business world both Gurkham and myself so we managed teams you know we had experience uh, in terms of deals and you know in, in an enterprise setting that's why we didn't have any trouble uh, regarding being technical in that matter I totally agree with you. I mean, in a sense that we would much rather invest into technically oriented founders and bet on the fact that one of them will evolve to be, to be the CEO for the foreseeable future in the company. I think there's a lot of examples where engineers evolve to be really great CEOs. There's also a lot of examples where engineers grow the company to a certain size and then there's another CEO that needs to step up, which is someone else, which is also fine because then again, you were able to grow the company into a good series B, C or even D level and then you let uh, more of an executive to take on while you're still more of the um, visionary guy behind the company. Both are fine. That's why we like to back uh, engineers much more so than business-oriented founders. So Countly is a born global company, meaning let alone your customers, even your team was global from day one, and you were never focused on the domestic Turkish market at all. What was the reason behind that? Did you look into the market and realize that Turkey will never be big enough, so might as well just be global from day one? Turkey is actually quite big in terms of our target audience because three main sectors for us are finance, telecommunications uh, and healthcare. Finance and telecommunications is quite big in Turkey. So from a market standpoint, it's a big market. But the problem is that attitude towards startups is more like trying to close the deal cheap if not free so you can't scale an enterprise software business like that and that's why we went global from day one the decision was not about like the market size but more about can we scale this business in turkey so right now we are actually active in turkey basically we decided to do that in in the last year or so uh, so not before that because at that time we were already big enough we had uh, a lot of good names on our customers list and then you know we can go to turkish companies with those names and basically that acts as a proof to them that this is not just some guys doing a project that you can get for free but rather a serious business that's validated elsewhere what i'm understanding is turkey is actually big enough because you're doing telco and large enterprise and banks but the fact that you were able to attract international customers gave you a huge advantage as you were targeting your domestic turkish market how do you assess uh, which markets to go after especially in enterprise you certainly have a playbook in choosing which industries or markets to go after can you please tell us a bit about that as an early stage startup uh, you have to try and fail as much as you can as early as possible right so in order to 
find the best ingredients for your success. Uh, so for us, it was uh, you know both about finding the most suitable markets and also finding the most suitable industries. So obviously, US is is a big choice, right? So enterprise software and you know a lot of analytics companies already exist in the US. Uh, so US was an obvious like first choice. For anyone and of course still it is an important uh, kind of market for us but the reason we didn't move the business to the US and chose Europe is that Europe is actually quite more strict in terms of data privacy uh, and they have there's a, a GDPR kind of regulation which is towards protecting rights of individuals in the EU for that Europe is becoming a, a more kind of important market for us and it will be even more uh, going forward there is some trial and error for example we have tried China for a while because we know there are quite powerful companies local companies that are serving the market of course from Huawei i have some level of chinese market experience for example we failed there right so we hired one salesperson we hired one developer but obviously it's it's a very uh, kind of closed market they expect everyone to be there speaking chinese so one person for each role wasn't really enough So you know that trial didn't go well. It's not always the case. Uh, there are a lot of other trials that we did that went pretty well. In terms of industries, uh, it's again another thing that you would need to try and see. So for us, obviously, this data privacy and security aspect makes the product look good for companies that that are serious about this. You can immediately think of like finance, healthcare telecommunications because those companies deal with sensitive data of course they would want to have a solution that cater for those aspects but another important point is the sales cycles we try to kind of optimize the strategy around the sales cycle as well because for example with banks the sales cycle can take forever i think we had like a year with some customers you know obviously as an early startup you try to uh, move as fast as you can so you can't afford to have like a year long sales cycles uh, even though you know you sell at the end of the day a year is too long so you try to optimize for the shortest sales cycle and the right deal value so we had a lot of you know trial with that after a point obviously we had a lot of uh, financial customers in our list so after you get some it becomes easier to get others uh, so it grew like that so telecom finance uh, and healthcare are really key industries for us at the moment but of course you know we are not limiting ourselves in the sense that you know we don't cater for gaming businesses it's not the case because if there is a right fit in terms of what we offer as a product we would certainly work with those kind of companies and we do This really resonates me in the sense that you are iterating fast you are running fast um you want to move away from markets with long sales cycles but yet again you wanted to consolidate some verticals where you can actually have a repeatable use case and a repeatable customer acquisition strategy i want to go into fundraising a bit i mean turkey has a very tough fundraising landscape as we all know and you joined the seed camp accelerator in your early days so my question one is how helpful was that program i'm sure carlos and the team are great but still i want to ask this and my second question is after seed camp you didn't raise funding how was your bootstrapping story did it work out well would you recommend other founders to 
continue on bootstrapping as well. Carlos, Reshma and the team Seedcamp uh, are awesome, of course. We joined Seedcamp at a very early stage. Uh, at the time, I just quit my job to work full time on Countly. And this was like about a month before we attended the Seedcamp event in Istanbul. So I think we all are like global thinking or working ability largely to being part of the program because they kind of have a network that consists of a lot of VCs, a lot of entrepreneurs from all around Europe and a lot of mentors all around the world. Uh, so this really gives you kind of like a global thinking ability because you, you know, spend time with those people. The entrepreneurs that you are together with are doing like global startups most of the time. So, you know, you get to learn from them as well and share the experience. So I think that was great from, from those standpoints. We, if we didn't have like a product already at that time, uh, it would also be helpful from a product standpoint. Uh, you know, I would say most useful part for us was the network kind of effect it brings. Uh, so bootstrapping uh, is, I think, a good idea. Can be a bad one, depending on the situation. You know, we have bootstrapped currently and still we are bootstrapping it. We didn't have any external funding. Basically, it depends uh, on a lot of factors. So it might be a good idea in the sense that bootstrapping gives you the ability to validate your product, to validate whether you are really targeting a big enough opportunity before things get crazy uh, or out of control. Especially for Turkish startup founders, I would recommend bootstrapping because Turkish kind of like scene of fundraising is not very diverse. It's mostly focused on e-commerce or anything related to e-commerce. You can get some VC money in Turkey and we actually got offered in the beginning. If you want to be a global company, I don't think it can get you to that level. Of course, getting money from uh, a VC is another type of marriage that happens in the startup world. It's tying you uh, from certain aspects. Basically, you know, we didn't want to limit ourselves with that kind of thing. So kind of rejected Turkey offers and went bootstrapping. And after a point, you know, we get used to this so much and, you know, it works quite well for us. We have good progress. We don't really have a reason to get outside outside money for county at this point in time but maybe like for some company they need to move faster they need to basically acquire customers faster or build the product faster etc there are a lot of cases where fundraising is important right so that's why i don't want to say is bootstrapping is the correct strategy for everyone but i think you know you need to explore it because that's an option so fundraising is not the only option that's a very bad advice on our end. I mean, we want to put money into good entrepreneurs like you guys, but <laughs> in a lot of the cases in good companies, why companies don't bootstrap and raise VC funding is to buy time. But if you're not in a rush, if you don't feel like the market is in a rush, if you don't feel like you have to accelerate time, then I think bootstrapping would be a better way for you to actually be on your own terms in terms of your speed and then grow sustainably. I was going to ask you, I mean, now that you have 2000 servers, a billion app users, a global and very distributed team, would you be raising anytime soon? But what I'm understanding is you don't have any plans of fundraising anytime soon. 
Yeah, currently we aren't because, you know, as I said, uh, the progress has been good so far. The team is small but carefully selected team. So it's not like we are trying to cut costs with hiring the cheapest talent we can find. It's more like we are trying to find the best talent suitable for that specific task. Things are progressing the way we like. And of course, I'm not saying we will never raise any funding, but right now we don't have a reason to. So would you go back to your initial days? Would you follow a similar path? I mean, uh, not focus on the Turkish market, go to an accelerator that's in the UK, do not raise funding from a VC perspective, bootstrap and have a fairly remote distributed team grow the company sustainably. Yeah, definitely. So I think I would exactly do the same things. Maybe like from product standpoint, maybe there might be some differences, but from a strategy perspective, like focusing globally, setting up county in, a, in another country uh, and having a remote distributed team, uh, I think all the, those points were on point. You know, we don't regret a single day doing those. I was going to ask a lot of questions on the competitive landscape, but I won't. I mean, I know this is a very, very competitive market, but you are finding different verticals and future sets where you can differentiate and penetrate further. What I want to ask you is, what's your end goal for Countly? What's your bigger vision? And given the competitive market, what's the likely acquisition strategy? I mean, who would buy Countly and why would they buy it? Actually, you know, analytics is quite a hot domain in terms of acquisitions. Like obviously data, big data, uh, making sense of this data uh, are important concepts. And uh, in the world that we are living in, that's being dominated by AI, it will even get more popular because, you know, in order for AI to work, you need a lot of data. That's why, you know, the large companies uh, obviously need to have some sort of strategy to bring in you know, other companies that work with data. And they do actually, you know, we, we see a lot of acquisitions from analytics, from push notifications, from like marketing side of things, uh, from crash analytics of things uh, so each of the big names in the technology sector i think will have uh, some sort of acquisition from this domain in the, in the future obviously google facebook adobe apple etc those big names all have some uh, level of activity in that area basically they will try to be the most dominant player and i think you know it's from candidate kind of like acquisition spectrum i think we have a lot of candidates for that but it depends on how things are progressing in terms of data ai etc again i see this uh, as a as an opportunity because ai will be big you know i think behind the hype will follow a lot of development and data uh, will be extremely important you know i think we are in a very good point in terms of where we sit in order to collect kind of like user behavior or user action data from an end goal uh, point of view of course like acquisition is is an exit strategy but what we really want currently to be is that we want to be the WordPress of analytics. What did WordPress uh, enable? Basically, there are a lot of plugins uh, and you can customize a WordPress site in a lot of different ways, right? So you can practically achieve any type of website using vast available plugins. We are trying to have a wide range of plugins so that Countly can cater for even the most specific 
and most advanced analytics needs of every business around the world. We want to be the go-to tool uh, when you need anything related to analytics. Similarly, like you know, WordPress, when you need a site, you think about WordPress one way or another. We want to achieve that level in an analytics kind of world. Strategically speaking, Countly can be very valuable for different players depending on um, your product, your user base, your data. These are all strategically important to different market segments. And especially once the AI technology kicks in, uh, you will even become more valuable and become an acquisition target for a lot of companies. Well, it was great to have you here. Thanks again. I hope you continue to grow and then just stop bootstrapping and sell at the right time. Thanks, Anis. It was great to be here. Honor showed us how venture funding is not the only way to grow, but if you think you can accelerate your growth with more money, come talk to us. This is the end of today's episode. You can reach our website, theglocal.co. You can reach us on Instagram at theglocalpodcast, and you can reach me on Twitter at Enis Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.